Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Today we are going to talk about the Orlando Magic, the Utah Jazz, and then we're going to look in depth at the potential upcoming maximum salaries now that we have an idea of the uh, smoothing of the cap from the CBA. Uh, Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to get into the Magic and the Jazz. I think two uh, very interesting teams, two teams that are, uh, it looked like they were going to be maybe ships passing in the night, right? As the Jazz kind of kicked off a full-scale rebuild and the Magic were on their way up, but the Jazz maybe aren't as bad as we thought they were going to be. Well, definitely aren't uh, right now, and we'll see you know, what approach Danny Ainge takes. And then, yeah, that, that future uh, max salary talk, I'm, I'm excited to get into that because I think these numbers are going to blow some people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. As I dove in and was updating my stuff, uh, it, it blew my <laughs> mind, which is why I wanted to get out in front of that conversation. Uh, but first, we're going to start with the Orlando Magic. That was the uh, – not the most recent post, but just before. We posted Utah late last night. Um, Orlando Magic is up here. Again, I know I've been saying this for the last few teams. I look at these rosters, and uh, now that we've advanced forward to the 23-24 season, and I see a lot of young, good kids on this team. I, I like this team from where they were a few years ago. They seem to be going in the right direction. Uh, so what is your take with the Orlando Magic? Yeah, I think compared to previous iterations of rebuilds, <clears throat> this one is just off to a great start. They started it last year with the uh, two first-round picks and Wendell Carter Jr. That was kind of their their uh, haul from the uh, Nikola, Nikola Vucevic trade. Carter stepped right in, really good fit, good, solid starting center. They got him re-signed to a very team-friendly contract, uh, barely over the um, mid-level exception amount, and then it's going to actually be under because that contract uh, descends from year to year. And then you get Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs. Wagner looks like a future all-star. Suggs, still very much a work in progress, but still you know, young guard. Sometimes it takes those guys a little bit. And then this year, Landon Paolo Bancaro with the number one overall pick. They, they Magic, I thought, played that really well. Uh, kind of kept everybody, you know, on edge right up until, I don't know, what did Woj break it? Maybe an hour ahead of the draft. Instead of going in like this year, we all know it's going to be Victor Wembanyama, and they might as well make the pick the minute the lottery ends. Uh, we could put the number two team on the clock, but uh, the Magic play, played their cards right, got Bancaro, and then he delivered with the rookie of the year and really looked good. You add Markel Fultz to that group. Uh, We'll see what Jonathan Isaac is, maybe can be. He flashed when he got back and then got hurt again. So, you know, who knows? Uh, Cole Anthony's an interesting young player as well. So just a lot of really, you know, good stuff. And then nobody on this roster, even going into next season, makes over, I think the highest salary is Isaac's, and it's only – partially guaranteed at 17.4 million so they're great salary cap flexibility good uh draft assets moving forward so the magic are in great shape yeah so how do they move forward what areas of need do they really need because as you're going through i see they've got big men they've got uh shooters they've got you know the point guard so what direction do the magic really need to go as far as even in the draft or uh from a free agent standpoint 
you said they've got shooters. That I'm going to disagree slightly. <laughs> I think they've got scorers more than than shooters. Okay. So I, I think you know, I, know. I think um, you know that that's a uh, delineation that I've had to come to over time. Is like sometimes guys are scorers more than than they are shooters. But I think that's probably the biggest need is getting a couple more wings in. They had to play a lot of last year with really some goofy lineups out there. They they, they had moments where Paulo Bancaro uh, was basically running the entire offense from the three with Franz Wagner starting at the two. And those guys are ideally your four and your three. Um, just because they, they had at one point, Cole Anthony was the only healthy guard on the entire roster. And I, I'm not talking like, you know, of good guard, like the only healthy guard on the entire roster. So it was, it was a real mess for them at times throughout last season. So I think, you know, as we look at this magic team, um, the good news is when you don't have a ton of roster spots to fill, and this is going to be something I'm going to repeat with a handful of teams. Um, as we get into this, you can really target a specific signing to fill an area of need. So that means that they can take they're they're likely to have um you know somewhere in the twenty five to thirty million range and what we'll see you know that a lot of that depends on where their draft picks end up and all that stuff. So I think we're in a spot where as we look at uh, this magic team, it becomes you know you can use that money to go, whether it's one player, two players, however you want to do it, you can really look to spend that money in a certain way and go fill those needs out. That, that's a really good place to be in. Yeah, it really is. And I was going to go there with the roster. They've got 14 under contract right now, plus adding the number six and the number 11 pick. They're already at 16 there. So you're going to run out of spots. Obviously some of those, uh, team options might get declined and then you open up some space there or some of the non-guaranteeds but still your roster is going to fill out immediately as soon as you get the number six and the number 11 if they end up getting into the second round or anything like that you know um so they're gonna have some roster gymnastics but i i don't know if they and you can push back on this, but I don't know if they necessarily need to go into free agency. Um, if they can get the 6th and 11th and really hit on those and build upon what they already have, I think if you're playing the long-term game, yeah, you, maybe you bring in one veteran piece in there. But if you can really have this core move together, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in two, three years. Yeah, that, that's why when, when I wrote the preview for the site, and one, one of the things I do when I sit down is um, I really like that we added uh, last year kind of the, the what is the mindset, right, going into the off season and what is the approach. And, and I thought it was really interesting with the magic. Well, when I sat down, I said, you know, there's all this stuff about Fred Van Bleed. I'm going to kind of use him just as the, the example, just be because that's been reported several times. So I think what happens is there's a sense of, you know, we were pretty close last year. You know, we're, we're maybe a player away from being a team that's in the postseason mix. And I think there's then becomes this rush to, well, let's go get that guy. We have enough money. Let's go make that happen. And then sometimes you go all in a year too early and then everything kind of starts to crumble on you a little bit. So I don't mind it if the magic more or less were to run it back. Um, I, I, I don't want to 
be too conservative because they think sometimes these teams too, they bank too much on, well, this guy's going to improve internal improvement. And this guy is, and this guy is. And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden it's, you know, we never quite got there and you kind of miss that window because those guys get more expensive with new contracts and the like. Next thing you know, you, you don't have that flexibility and you never really spent it. So it's, it's walking, you know, a fine line with that of, you know, where do we go? But, I think if they were to mostly run it back, they'd probably, you know, Bancaro should be better next year. Wagner should be better. Suggs should be better. Uh, the other guys don't project to get, you know, any level of meaningfully worse because they're just not at that point of their careers. So I think if you had that, add in some better health. This team started 5-20 and 20 last season and then finished 29-28. and 28. So that gives you a sense. And that was really with the last couple weeks. They weren't trying overly hard to win those last few games. So I think you're looking at a team that could reasonably look at it and say, yeah, we should be a 500 team at least next season. And if you're 500, that's got you in the play-in tournament. And then you kind of go from there. So, but all that said, I, I think, you know, you can make a targeted signing or two and go out and get those guys, flush out your roster a little. As you said, they've got 14 guys under contract, but I think there's a couple easy spots to move on from guys. And then let's see what happens in the draft. You know, if you have a little little lottery luck here, and all of a sudden you, you want lottery luck with your own pick, not with the Bulls pick, because uh, then, then they would lose it. That pick is top four protected. Um, so you want that pick to kind of stay right where it is. But with your own pick, if you could move up and then get another guy who really fits, you know, maybe another wing or maybe one more kind of high profile guard where you're like, yeah, this is the guy to grow with this young group. Now all of a sudden you're really on to something in Orlando. Yeah, that's a great point with the draft. This is a team that could benefit a lot with the draft being before free agency. I know in the past there's been the conversation of, oh, let's flip it where free agency is first like the NFL and then have the draft later. But in this case, this, you know, the draft being where it is, you're right. If their number six pick ends up being in, you know, the top four and that Chicago pick goes, you know, maybe eight or seven just by luck of the draw, then their outlook is even better than, originally anticipated so you could really target uh, some higher caliber players in the draft than originally anticipated sorry i couldn't get myself off mute um (laughs) i'm dealing with some allergies so i'm trying to mute when i need a cough um it it is you know when we look at at that that's exactly it you know they've got the ability to yeah if you wanted to package those two picks if you could move up for a player you could do that that hasn't been the mo of this front office they've tended to hey let's stick where we are let's get these guys but again not to harp on this too much but when you do have most of your roster filled out you do start to look at options and we're see we've seen that a good example of that is oklahoma city over the last couple of years they they have tried to start to package um, draft picks together to move up for targeted players it worked one year, one year it didn't work out. Uh, one year teams kind of waited them out and said, no, like you're not going to bowl us over with here's 15 draft picks because we know you can't make them all. Um, you need to give us the actual good ones. So I think with Orlando, though, that's the same kind of boat you're in here where you could do a little bit of packaging, move up to try to get in position. Or you could, if there becomes a guy available by a trade, you could look to say, hey, we've got that. They've got some movable salary. 
They've even got some flexibility with their non-guaranteed salaries where at the draft, they wanted to, they could guarantee more of Isaac's salary. They could guarantee a chunk of Gary Harris's salary and move on from those guys, trade them to um, the team as part of the salary match with the draft picks as being the real get there. And now all of a sudden you're bringing in a player that you really feel like fits in uh, around your kind of young core to, to lift you. It's just, I just, it's got to be the right guy. You, you, you don't want to be going all in on a guy who's going to be, hey, in the next two years, this is the guy for us because it needs to be someone who, you know, you can see, all right, this guy can fit for the next four to five years around this young group because otherwise you're, you're not two years away from being a major contender. And I, I sincerely hope and I believe in this front office, the goal isn't just to make the playoffs. They, they, they want to be more than just a playoff team, which is, you know, that that's a good thing for magic fans. You know, if, Hey, if it's one more year of patience and you know, it's just kind of, you know, that incremental growth uh, next season, that's, that's fine. That's not the end of the world. You know, you, you can take that over, you know, Hey, let's, let's jump up to 45 wins, get into the playoffs, get knocked out. And then two years later, we're kind of back to square one almost of all right, how we're going to, you know, keep improving this group. Right. Absolutely. Uh, moving down the line past the draft here, extensions, Cole Anthony, he's, you know, young kid up for uh, a rookie extension. We've got Markel Fultz, who is extension eligible going into the offseason. Isaac is extension eligible, but he only has 7.6 million guaranteed for next year. So uh, let's start with Cole Anthony, uh, do you think he gets a rookie extension or is this a let's slow play it one more year and then get to restricted free? Yeah, he's kind of a fun one, because if you look at just the counting stats, you'd probably say, man, Cole Anthony slipped a little bit. But the reality is, instead of starting 65 games on a terrible team where it was, hey, Cole Anthony, here's the ball, do whatever you need to do all game long. He came off the bench on a better team um, where it was, hey, we need you to play an actual role. His efficiency, he went from 39-33 field goal percentage, three-point percentage, to 45-36 last season. Like, that's, that's huge. I mean, that is, now all of a sudden, instead of being a guy teams want to shoot, all of a sudden it's like, all right, we probably got to get out there a little bit more. Uh, his rebounding and assists, despite his minutes falling almost six minutes per game, they barely dipped. So that tells me what they found with Cole Anthony is they probably found his ideal role. You're a high-end bench guard who can score. You can do some playmaking. And if we need you to start, you can step in and start. And I think that is good to know. But then that becomes kind of what do we pay a guy like that? You know, we've seen some bench players get paid significantly. Uh, we've seen others get paid because it's, right, we're going to pay you knowing you're a bench guy now, but the idea is maybe you'll be a starter down the line. So I think what happens is if you can get him for like four years, 60 million or something as the magic, you're probably feeling pretty good about that. If you're Cole Anthony, you're probably like, all right, that's not bad. I feel pretty good about that as well. If it goes any lower than that, then if I'm Anthony, I'm probably saying, uh, let's play it out. Let me kind of bet on myself here a little bit, see what this looks like, because that now you've kind of lost any kind of upside 
in that. And then, you know, then it's also obviously the magic have had these conversations and they're going to know better is, is he content being a bench scoring, you know, kind of guard? Is that, is he okay with that role? Because if that's a, a thing where he doesn't want to do that, then that changes the whole caliber of this discussion because all of a sudden it may be, all right, you know what? That's this isn't the role for me. This isn't the team for me. Marco Fultz, he's uh, an interesting player as well. You know, coming from Philly, sort of needed that reset, new team, new outlook. Mm-hmm. They've done a pretty good job of working with him. They extended him at uh, three for fifty. He's up for an extension again if they want to. Is this a player that the Magic uh, would look to retain, or are they just going to let this current extension run out and go from there? Yeah, this one's weird because he's passed all the stuff he went through with Philly. It's hard to believe he just completed his fourth season with the Magic, like fourth full season uh, with, with Orlando, which is just kind of that's almost mind blowing. Like if it just feels like he just got there in some ways, but that's because two almost two full seasons worth he was injured and out. Um, so I think to your question is, I think Markel Fultz has really embraced what he is now. He's never going to be a shooter. He'll hit the occasional three pointers, but he just doesn't take him. He's kind of almost become like a modern day version of what Tony Parker was with, with the Spurs where it's, I'm going to get downhill for my floater. I'm going to punish you in the paint. I can still play make. I'm just not going to shoot jumpers from, from behind the three point line. I'm just not, not only am I going to miss him, I'm just not going to take them anymore. Um, and then he's really embraced his defensive role on this team. He, he's a really good defender. That was always kind of an underrated part of his game as he came into the league. And that's really blossomed. Uh, here in Orlando. So I think for Folds, it's probably one of those of you would like to extend him and feel pretty good about that because he is, let me make sure I've got this right. Yeah. He's only 24. He'll be, he'll turn 25 at the end of the, the this month of May. So that is something where you kind of like, man, this guy's still pretty young. So I think what happens with Marco Fultz is, you feel good if you can extend him, but if you're the Magic, you want it to be again be what his contract looked like this year, which involves some non-guarantees. So you can be a little bit protected because he just hasn't shown the ability to stay fully healthy, and that's that's a that that's something you've got to you're going to kind of constantly be wary of with a guy like him. Anytime a player has that kind of injury history, you're always a little worried about all right, what's the next thing that that's going to happen with this guy? So. You know, you could extend him. My guess is this probably just plays out because they probably won't get to a number that feels good for either side. And then you kind of figure it out after after uh, the, the contract runs out. Yeah, speaking of non-guaranteed, Jonathan Isaac was <laughs> guaranteed. And then due to some uh, games played trigger, it turned guaranteed into non-guaranteed. And so now we're dealing with a, a season where, like you mentioned earlier, million, but it's only $7.6 million guaranteed this year. And I think it goes down to zero the following year. Yep, you're correct. Uh, So does Orlando just see how things go in the beginning of this season? And then if they need to cut bait, then they can do so and only have 7.6 on the books? Or is what he has shown worth a, a super team friendly uh, extension, sort of like the Kevin uh, Porter Jr. in Houston. Uh, what, what do you think with the Isaac deal? It's 
it's fascinating, but really weird too. Yeah, I don't even think you can do the Kevin Porter type thing. That that to me is even too risky to even go there because you would need it to be basically no money at all that that you're paying him. You know, very little in guaranteed salary. And if you're Jonathan Isaac at that point, you're probably like, all right, is that really where I want to be? Because then what you're facing is every year there is uncertainty. This guy in, he's now, this was just his sixth NBA season. He's played one healthy season so far. Played 75 games in his second year. First year, only 27 games. Uh, Had a host injuries, I believe an ankle injury was what cost him most of that year. Next year, 75 games. Looked good, really looked like, all right, we're coming along now. Now we're kind of getting a sense of what this guy's going to be. The next year, he's playing great, playing the best basketball he's ever played, and then got hurt midseason. Then, because we had the whole pause for the pandemic, came back and then blew out his knee in the bubble um, before we even get out of the the like like uh, ramp up games. Then missed two full seasons, came back finally about midway ish through this season, but only got into eleven NBA games before getting hurt again. And uh, go going out with a hand with a severe hamstring <clears throat> uh, injury and um, adductor injury. So it's just been one thing after another, all seemingly related because you know he blew, blew out the left knee and then the other injuries have been left leg injuries. So that's something to watch for. So all of that said, I think if you're the Magic, he probably comes back next season unless they have something they haven't told us where it's like, hey, it's going to be another completely lost year. Then you may say, let's just write it off at the cost of seven point six million. We'll take the additional, you know, what is that, nine point eight million in cap space and move on um, with everything and wish him well. Some let somebody else deal with the rehabbing. But my guess is because what they've invested in him, they bring him back for one more season. If nothing else, he becomes a trade chip that you can use um, after you've you know used your cap space, or if it's needed to plus up any kind of trade. Um, ability or anything like that then you kind of go and then if he can get back and stay on the floor then we can start to look at what the next year looks like with that fully non-guaranteed 17.4 million otherwise what you're probably looking at is just <clears throat> excuse me let it go right let it let it let, it, let him go then but I don't, there's no extension coming here you can't do that okay um uh... Interesting stuff with the the extensions there. We'll see where that that goes. Um, Michael, Michael Carter Williams, they signed him as a rest of season with a club option. Is that an option that Orlando is likely to exercise or decline? No, they'll they'll decline his option. He I, they, they, he may only may have only gotten into one game. If I remember, let me make sure. I think it was only the oh, we got into four, so we got into the last handful of games after they'd really kind of shut guys down. Um, great that he made it back to the league. You know that that's awesome. After you know dealing with a you know injuries and then a completely lost season last year where he didn't play for anybody and wasn't under contract, um, or I guess just didn't didn't get any games is a better way to put that. So they love him in Orlando. They they think he's you know a great guy. But he is now in his 30s. He will be 32 at the start of next season. So this is probably one where they'll decline that option. And then 
maybe he comes back on a training camp, kind of make good kind of thing after you've spent your cap space, you've done your other stuff. Let's see. If they were to move on from maybe another guard or two, maybe then you could say, hey, let's bring him back in the fold. But my guess is this starts with that option being declined. And then we may see him back as a you know opportunity guy, but we go from there. And I, it just, that, that seems to be the way that makes the most sense for the magic. Anything else with the magic before we move on to the jazz? No, I just, I don't buy the Fred Van Vliet stuff. I, I think that was people connecting dots because of Jeff Waltman's history with Van Vliet from their times together in Toronto. Um, that It just doesn't make sense. It, it's not the kind of signing they've ever really done. I think they like their other guards, whether it be, you know, Fultz and Suggs or put Anthony in the mix. I, I just, that, that one has never jumped out to me as one that it's like yeah that's that's it that's the signing for them so i'm more curious like let's see you know what they do i like i said i think uh another wing is a bigger need for them especially a wing with some size because it's really Franz wagner and not much else so i'm very curious to see how they approach that i think a guy like austin reeves could make a ton of sense i mean any team with cap space i'm gonna mention him for just because he's such a good fit plug and play guy and you can really make it difficult on the Lakers to match an offer sheet on him uh, because of the arenas provision. But I, I am, uh, you know, curious to see how this all comes together for Orlando because there are so many different directions they can go this summer. I think if we get news right shortly before free agency that they are waving Jonathan Isaac and waving Gary Harris, that means they're loading up cap space to make a run at something. They they have something in in play um, that we don't know. Otherwise, it's probably going to be it'll look fairly similar with an addition or two, uh, likely to round up the rotation some, and then it's it's banking on a year of you know, really good internal growth from their guys, and that's that's perfectly fine. I, I don't think that's a mistake at all by the organization. The Utah Jazz was a team we thought, and you buried the lead in the beginning, but we all thought they were completely tanking when Donovan Mitchell was moved, Rudy Gobert was moved. We thought they were ripping the Band-Aid off and going down to the studs, and that was uh, far from the <laughs> truth there. Uh, they outperformed all expectations for uh, probably everyone in the media and fans, maybe not internally, maybe they – really knew what they were getting and where they were going with this team. They've acquired assets, draft picks. They brought back in some different players where we thought players that were, you know, just role players at this point or very low role players. And now they're starters and and showing that they are still viable uh, players in the NBA here. What direction do the Utah Jazz go? Because they have a lot of different options that they can go at. Yeah, I, I think we have to own the Danny Ainge factor in this. Of it's not real clear what he wants from from this team just yet. My guess is the plan was let's be really bad and let's be in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes, and then Will Hardy came in with a pretty good system and got all these guys to play, you know, at or above, or in some cases, well above their previously established norms. Now, like a guy like Laurie Markkinen, the, the leap he took, that kind of changes everything for Utah. 
and I know some people are like, oh, was that a, you know, they're hosting the All-Star game. Is that why they kind of got him as an All-Star? No, he averaged almost 26 points per game, just shy of a 50-40-90 shooting season. Eight rebounds, uh, you know, did some stuff as a passer, was engaged as a defender uh, more so. No, I'm not going to say he's a good defender, but this was, and this wasn't just a increase in volume stuff because his efficiency went up and his volume goes up. Whenever that's a combination, that's where I start to get really excited about what a guy can be as a player. So I think in this case, with the um, with the Jazz, you start to really kind of get into it, and you're like, man, you've got Markinen in place. You've got uh, Walker Kessler as a rookie was great, uh, really almost you know, you know, hilariously good in the sense of you traded away the preeminent rim protector in the NBA for a massive haul of draft picks back. And you didn't really downgrade at that spot at all. Cause that's how good uh, Walker Kessler was. And then you, uh, Ochai Abaji came on towards the end of the year. And then Colin Sexton showed some stuff throughout the year. So you've kind of got your four uh, core ish guys that you can build around with as much flexibility as any team in the league. They've got nothing really as far as salary commitments go. It's Markinen and Sexton who are both on perfectly fine uh, value contracts. They've already got a million draft picks. If we learned anything about Danny Ainge, we all laugh about Sam Presti's Hall of Draft Picks, but Danny Ainge kind of started that whole process a few years ago with the Celtics. So I think as we look at it, it is, I could see them saying, all right, you know, we're pretty good. Let's try to pick off a few value free agents. Let's try to really kind of keep this thing moving forward and try to be, be you know, a playoff team a, a year from now and have all the draft picks because what they've kind of done, much like Ainge was able to outsource the tanking to the Brooklyn Nets where it was like, hey, everything fell apart. I'm not going to say the Cavs are going to go that way, but you can kind of see maybe Minnesota goes that way. And Ainge may be able to say, hey, we don't need to tank our own pick. Let them do it for us. We could be an okay team, and let's move this thing forward very uh, much quicker than anybody ever expected. So what areas of need do they really need to look forward to? I know they have you know, some player options that you know, with Clarkson, THT, Rudy, uh, Rudy Gay. So those may come off the books, or they may be back on the team. They have the 9, the 16, and the 28 pick uh in the lottery with the nine. Um, So they have three draft picks in the first round. So what areas of need does this team really need to focus on? Yeah, I think it's just flesh out your overall talent. Like I said, they've kind of got four core guys, and that's if you even include Sexton in that mix, which I know some people don't. I think some still see that as like he's probably the next guy to move. Sorry. Um So I think what you're really looking at with this group is how do we, how do we build out the roster around Markinen, around Kessler and around Egbaji and Egbaji isn't quite at the, like everything hinges on him level yet, but I think he showed enough as a rookie that you're like, okay, we're enthused about what this is. So I think if you're the jazz, your kind of approach now, as you start this uh, off season is, we just got to get more talent. We got to get guys that fit right. And if we resign some of our guys, they've got to be on contracts where we're not stuck 
we can move them later, we can trade them down the line. I think that's something that's going to come into play with both Jordan Clarkson and uh, Taylor Norton Tucker, because I think those guys are um, two guys where it is. All right. You know, they're good players, but Horton Tucker is very limited because he's just a terrible shooter. Uh, So he's a nice all around guy. And then Clarkson is a guy who, much like we talked about with Cole Anthony, he's just a much older version where it is, all right, he's okay as a starter, but what his real value is is a bench scorer. But at his age, you know, what is a team willing to pay? Is that something? Kind of becomes like having a good closer on a bad baseball team. It's like a luxury, but it's like, what do we really have the need for a really good bench score on a team that might not be very good. But if you're trying to be a good team, then it makes sense to bring those guys back. Um, the interesting thing is, despite the fact that they both have player options, neither one of them is likely to get all that much more than their player option in free agency. So you can kind of play with, hey, we can either bring them back at the number they're on and then still have cap space and move forward. Or we can you know, maybe get them on a slightly lesser number if they were to opt out or a more favorable contract. So a lot of interesting directions, but it's just for me, Stabilize your backcourt a little bit. Add, you know, some more guys that project to be longer term fits because I think your front court's pretty, pretty solid. And then you can, um, you know, start to go forward from there. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you mentioned the, the player options, Clarkson, THT there. If they opt in, they can become extension eligible, um, which you can get them on a team friendly and then flip them later on. Um, especially if they really, you know, progress or if they opt out, then you open up that cap space because they can go to another team. You can do even more. Um, so the, the options that this team has are so many different ways that they could go down a path and then it could go a different way depending on, if they land a player where they land in the draft or maybe Clarkson decides, yeah, I really do like being here. And from all indications, he does Mm -hmm. like being in Utah. Maybe they do get an extension locked up for him long-term, but the others fall off. You know, there's, there's just so many different ways that, and I love from a roster construction standpoint, the, the flexibility that Ainge has with this team. Yeah, that that's the kind of key thing more than anything is that flexibility piece because, it, and it also now for previewing their offseason, it's also frustrating because it's like, I don't know what to do with these guys because they, they, they could say, you know what, let's be kind of bad next year and really get another good pick and, you know, kind of build it forward. That way they could say, no, we're feeling pretty good about what we have and we have all this, you know, cap space and all these draft picks. Let's go get guys right now and try to really, you know, build this up very quickly. There's just a lot of, a lot of different ways. My guess is they kind of split the difference a little bit, which is sometimes that can be a, you know, that's a bad choice, right? Because you're not making a choice. But I think in this case for Utah, it's probably, it's it's too early. There's still way too many unknowns to say, all right, let's go. Because what if Markinen does regress back to like an 18-point-per-game guy next year and he's only kind of an okay shooter? Now all of a sudden it's like, all right, we don't have maybe the building block we thought we had. Here, we don't have the guy we can center everything around. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, there's enough in the way he played where it feels like this is sustainable and this is now what he is. 
as a player, even if the numbers dip slightly, I, I think you can feel pretty good. But I think we are in a position with this Jazz team of it, it's just I don't know, right? Because it's, you know, where do they go? I mean, what if they move up in the lottery? Yeah, now all of a sudden everything changes, right? They're one of those teams. If they were to move up to number one and got one Binyama, now all of a sudden everything changes for you as a franchise and you can go all sorts of ways you maybe weren't projecting. Um, If they were to move up into range and got Scoot Henderson, that'd be huge for them too because they don't have that, you know, high-end marquee guard on the roster yet. And he would be somebody who could really push it forward. So I think, you know, they're, they're in a spot where there are, it's great to be, it's just now it's about execution and it's, you know, they haven't given us enough hints on what the long-term vision is, you know, beyond that. And I think that's by, by design with Danny Ainge, he's not going to give anything away, right. He's just going to kind of let people know, you know, here, here I am, but we do know one thing. We do know he'll be open for business one way or another, whether it's, renting out the cap space to get more assets, or it is, hey, let's go get some guys and really build around this group and move it forward. That you know, he, he's definitely going to go one way or the other. We just don't know which way it is yet. Right. The, some of these teams that we've already been talking about, we've been talking extreme long-term with them. This is a team that they really have to operate from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and just see, all right, we've done this transaction. Now where can this take us? in the next week or the next month, they, they are not in a place to operate two, three years out right now. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're right. Because a couple of the guys I have in place, like Markin and he's not old by any means. And I am not, not even trying to remotely suggest that. I mean, he's going to be, uh, I think he turns, yeah, he turns 26 here in just a little bit towards the end of this month. So you still have plenty of good, you know, years to go with him. But you're also not in a spot where you are, you're not the thunder or the magic, even where we just talked about, where you're overflowing with young talent. Because this is, it's important to remember, we're in, we haven't even hit a full year of them really kind of resetting their franchise. They had been building towards we're a contender, we're going to be a title contender um, for you know, the last five, six years, you know, with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Quinn Snyder at the helm. Then it was, all right, we're hitting a very quick reset. And it looked like, all right, they're bottoming out. If I remember it, I might have picked them to be one of the worst teams in the league last year because I, I am fairly certain going into this season, I was like, they're going to be absolutely awful. What a mishmash of pieces. And then it's a credit to Will Hardy, you know, who really became, you know, what a good young coach they got too. Uh, much like when they rebuilt last time under Snyder, they got him and brought him in. Um, this is now a situation where, all right, we're not as bad as it looked like. Let's move this forward. Um, so you could see them saying, hey, let's go now. Like, we, we don't want to wait. We've got all this flexibility. Let's start adding pieces and move this thing forward right away. Yeah, the the, the option of going now is not a horrible idea mm-hmm. because when I go to the future draft picks that we launched uh, a couple weeks ago and I look at the outlook for what Utah could be having coming in 25, they've got the Cleveland and the Minnesota picks the 26, they have the two uh, swaps 27. They've get, they're getting the Cleveland and a potential Lakers, depending on top four protected and Minnesota. So if they decided to go now, they can still on the fly have these draft picks coming in where they can fill in needs that they need to 
while operating with, you know, trading for free agents yep. because it's not a free agent destination. So they, if they choose to go now, I think the outlook could be really good for them mixing vets now and on the back end, they're starting to fill in with some really good draft picks. They could be looking uh, in really good shape in two, three years. Yeah. And different from when Ainge rebuilt the Celtics, that was all about the Nets picks. If the Cavs situation goes sideways, if the Wolves situation goes sideways, all of a sudden you've, you've got basic control over three teams drafts, your own, the Cavs and the Wolves. And that's what a place to be in, right? You, you are just basically sitting there saying, yeah, we're good. No matter what happens, we are we're pretty good here. We, we can really make this work. So I, I think, yeah, they, they, those are those options. I will say one thing on Utah as a free agent destination, which is funny. No, it's not New York. It's not LA. It's not Miami. But guys do like Utah because there's two things. Anytime you talk to a player that's been there a long time or they, they sign there, they'll tell you two things. First is they're like, it's quiet. So when I'm home, I'm just home. I'm not being bothered constantly by people. And then the other thing they invariably mention is it's an extremely short trip to Las Vegas uh, from, <laughs> from Salt Lake City. An extremely short trip. I think probably the shortest trip that there is in the NBA. So a lot of guys, you know, they, they've uh, made, made use of that uh, uh, trip back and forth uh, quite extensively when they played for the Jazz uh, in the past. So I think think it's uh, you know, one of those things where it's a little little maybe underrated and they, they've tended – they don't go out and get the max max guys like they're they're like for example this summer like i'd be shocked if they were in on james harden or chris middleton or kyrie irving like that's not gonna happen but i wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden you know one of the targets i mentioned that could make a lot of sense for them guy like kyle kuzma you know a tier or two down from those star guys you might look at it and say all right you know we can pay you a lot we feel like you really feel a need and he may be like, okay, let's go. And he played his college basketball in Utah as well. All right. Lot to, lot to deal with the jazz. Looking forward to seeing what path they decide to actually go down. Because like we said, there are a, a plenty uh, of those paths that they can go one way or another. But I, this, like I said, this is a team that's going to have to operate from a single transaction here. Let's pivot or, adjust based on what we get starting with the draft. And like you said, if they end up getting super lucky and being high, then that could change their outlook completely going into uh, free agency. A any last final thoughts on the Utah jazz before we jump into this uh, maximum salary? deep dive? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we, this one was a lot more vague, but I think it's a lot more vague because we just don't know, right? It's, it's, right, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're a team I uh, I tend to think, think we'll do a lot more reactive analysis on than proactive analysis on. All right, so let's jump into this maximum salary situation. Like I said at the top, I, I started updating our, our cap totals uh, on the site using the 10% smoothing. Uh, so the, the projections that we have on the site for the cap maximums for the future years may be on the high side, but at least they're at the within range and not super high estimates uh, that are astronomical. So as I was diving in and putting in these, I was looking at the outlook of the maximum salaries and where these numbers are potentially going to go. And the numbers got really big, even faster <laughs> than I anticipated. Uh, so for 
to paint the picture, going into the 23-24 season, we're estimating at $134 million cap. So a 35% of the cap would be starting salary at 46.9 with a five-year contract that's a $272 million contract. If we project out the uh, 28, the 2028-29 season, and the reason I'm picking that is that's the last, the season, excuse me, the CBA could be opted out of after that season. So I have that up to a projected 211.9 million cap, which at a 35% rate would have a starting salary of $74 million with a five-year contract of $430 million. Again, that's the 35%. If we jump down to the 25 uh, for this upcoming season, it's starting at 33 and a half. So a five-year 194. And the 28-29 would jump up to 52.9 uh, starting salary with a $307 million over five years. Uh, I apologize for all the numbers there, but the overall outlook that I see here is these numbers are going to get insane very quick, even with a 10% smoothing. And all I can think of in my head is how can this, how can a league operate with such high values in five years? Keith, what do you make of this? Yeah, it's, it's funny because we say all these things like new TV deal and money's going up and it's, it becomes a little bit, is a coping or framing mechanism for things like I really think we are, you know, uh, Stephen Curry making nearly 60 million a year. It's not going to feel as bad when the cap is X, right? Like that's kind of how we get there. But I think what happens is that loses sight of the, you know, where it could go for the next set of guys. You know, like I looked at that 28, 29, that's, I mean, in terms of the NBA, that might as well be, you know, decades away, but it's really only five years away. So you start looking, that's your guys like Jason Tatum, John Moran, if he can get healthy, Zion Williamson, like the guys who are just now kind of getting into their, their current max contracts, like in, in some of them will be up before then. I, I get that, but those are the players we're thinking of, or, you know, Victor Wembenyama even right. As he comes into the league, we'll be kind of approaching that, uh, not the 35, but in the kind of middle there, uh, between the 25 and 35. And just to restate it, 35%, if the cap goes up to even, let's just say, you know, 200 million, that is $70 million in first year salary. Yet everything on top of it, that's basically $400 million on a five-year deal. That's starting to approach. Like, made, like I remember when everybody was like, Kevin Garnett's career earnings are, you know, whatever hundreds of millions it was. And everybody was like, oh my God, like that's, you know, unfathomable. How is that, you know, ever a thing? Guys are just going to make that in a single contract. And that's within right. a, a half decade. Now, to your point, they put in cap smoothing. So basically they said 10% is the most the cap will ever go up in a given year under the CBA. Um, they, the kind of condition they added to that was, but if it, it let's say it should have gone up 12%, they'll cap it at 10%, that other 2% will get 
dumped into the next year. And you basically do that until you catch back up. You'll just keep adding it in. So what they've done also is they said the cap will never go down. So if, you know, let's say the new TV deal is a failure somehow, I don't think it will be. But if it was like, then we never go down. Um, so now you're in a position where, you know, this 134 to think five years from now, 200 million, it's not crazy, right? That could be where we could be at um, with a cap because um, I know when you did this analysis, you already priced in this moving to, to get to this number. So if you get to this number, that's just, you know, that starts to become bonkers territory. And that's why, you know, we have to start to really reframe and think, and this is why, you know, I thought it was great that I want to say we did this two seasons ago, added the percentage of the cap to every single salary number, because it's, that's how you have to start thinking of it, right? You almost have to start thinking is player X a 35% of our cap, or if we're resigning him, is he a 40% of our cap player? Um, you know, can we, can we stomach that? Because what the num the actual salary amounts start to be, they start to feel like monopoly money. It just feels like it's not real because it's like, I can't, I can't fathom a guy's, uh, contract being a, you know, half a billion dollar contract. You know, I can't fathom a guy when you're at 74 million, you're not that far off from being a hundred million dollar player in a single year. And that's where like that, that starts to become brain breaking stuff there. Yeah, this is why I wanted to have this conversation because, and I've, I brought it up with Mike once in the past. And I, when these numbers came out I, and I'm looking at them, I'm like, holy cow, where does this league go? Because I think we're seeing a similar situation in the NFL because they have a cap and the cap keeps going up. The salaries keep going up it's more so with the, the quarterbacks. There's always a next man mm-hmm. up. They're at 52 million average salary. Major League Baseball does not have a cap. They have their luxury tax, but they don't have a, a, a cap like the NFL and, and the NBA. So their highest average salary right now is $43 million. The NBA cap keeps going up. Like I said, we're going to be looking at 60 to $86 million AAV in five years. And you know, even the 25%, like you said with, the, with Victor Wembanyama, you know, some of those rookies that are going to get the designated rookie maximum extension, we're talking about between 200 and $300 million in, in when we get to their actual extensions. So that's why I say, is, is there going to be a breaking point where the, the, the cap is going to have to either really plateau or in this next iteration of the CBA, there's going to have to be either a reset or a uh, come to Jesus moment with these salaries, <laughs> sure. just because it, and, and this is just the maximum as far as, you know, a player getting a 25, a 30 and a 35, this doesn't even take into account a player that signs at a maximum for two or three years and then wants to do a, a veteran extension at 120%. So there actually could be over the $74 million mark, you know, is a starting salary because of the, the rules. So I, I just think there needs to be some sort of foresight as far as where these maximum salaries are going to go, because if they keep the current system in place, we're at some point going to have hundred million dollar 
starting salaries. And maybe that's okay, but from a league standpoint, do they care? From a team standpoint, do they care? From a fan standpoint, when the optics of, holy cow, this player's making $85 million for one season, is that great optics from a fan standpoint? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get where where you're going with that. I think there's a couple things. And just to restate, these are all estimates and you know these are like 100 percent in bold green (laughs) neon whatever you want yeah Yeah. estimate 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 right like we can't say that enough because we don't know right when and we won't really know until the tv stuff starts flowing in um when that starts in in adam silver and the players association have been very clear there is the the first uh consideration was the new cba that that is done, ratified, and ready to go. Starts with next year. Um, then the next piece was going to be, now we need to start on the TV contract. And there is a sense of there's going to be, or would have been, another massive spike in the cap when that comes into play. But as we said, they put in the smoothing where, you know, that'll level that out a little. And that's just a lesson learned from a few years ago, 2016, when they had the massive spike. And what happened was exactly one class of free agents got paid and in many cases way overpaid. Um, and because owners can't help themselves, they didn't do it for one year deals. They did it for, you know, in the most cases four and some five year deals. And then everybody else the next year was like, wait, now everybody's back to capped out again. Where's my money? And it was like, well, sorry. Yeah, we spent it all last year. So now everybody has said, let's smooth this out. On top of that, you have other stuff coming in to the league that's going to be beyond the TV money. Um, You've got uh, all these individual local rights are coming up. Uh, We just saw the Phoenix Suns super fascinating say, yeah, we're not doing another cable rights deal. We're going to put our games on local over the air, and then we're going to create our own streaming service, which is seems designed around like our non Phoenix area fans like they'll be able to sign up for our streaming service to get all our games they'll buy in that way and then all of our local people they'll put it on you know their local you know uh you know whatever the over the air channel is you know two through uh, 55 or whatever i don't remember where they end but something like that and that's how you'll see the game so it's kind of rewinding it back to when we were kids right and you found the game on local tv and that's just how it was but they're doing that because they believe we're gonna see more fans of the Phoenix Suns and they'll buy more merchandise and all that stuff. And in their owner, who's seems like a pretty savvy business guy says, we're going to make more money in the end. Like we will make more money. So then you've got the in season tournament. There's going to be expansion coming like that, that it seems like the worst kept secret in the league. Um, They've basically openly said like CBA TV deal. Then we'll talk about expansion. These markets. I mean, Las Vegas is going to have the A's in a couple years. Now you're the fourth team in you don't really want to be the fourth team in the market, right? You, you, so that's already going to happen, but let's not delay that. Uh, Seattle, you're going to be the fourth team in the market. Um, you know, let's not delay that. So I think it's, you know, very clear. We're going to see teams. I, I want to say you can speak to this better than I can, but I think the NHL already announced they may look to expand again and add a couple more teams. So that becomes a whole thing of like, well, wait a minute. Now that's a couple more markets and that's your direct, direct competitor because you overlap seasons with them. So it is, or I guess not even overlap, you concurrently run a season with an NHL team. So I think the NBA is, there's just going to be a ton of money flowing into the system. 
they've put things in place where we'll cap. Now, to your question of should we care as fans, I don't really care. As long as it doesn't become, all right, League Pass is, you know, $700, you know, for a season to watch. Or, you know, you have to sign up for 38 different streaming services to watch games because, you know, League Pass is so watered down with what it can offer um, because we've, you know, split our uh, national TV games so many ways. That part doesn't matter to me. Um, Affordability of games has been tough for years, right? It seems like it's for a lot of people, it's something you do once or twice a year rather than going, you know, all the time. But it becomes a challenge of, I don't really care how much the players make as long as that I can still enjoy the game and I can still see it and watch it and uh, consume it in the ways I want to. I think um, from the team side, sure, there's something to be said for, I don't really want to be paying one player 70 plus million dollars. But on the flip side, we just saw the Phoenix Suns, pretty good market right now. One of the top five, I don't think, uh, markets in in the sports uh, in this country. But up there, right, probably somewhere in that 10-ish range, go for $4 billion. The Milwaukee Bucks that are a, you know, super small market team, a team for, you know, up until kind of right before they got Giannis, we're talked about constantly as maybe they should move the box. Maybe they should get them out of Milwaukee just sold for roughly the same, a chunk of their ownership for roughly the same kind of evaluation. So if all these teams are going to be going for 4 billion plus, and that'll probably only go up when they lock in a, you know, billions of dollar TV contract. That's the assumption here is it's hard to worry anything about what the teams complain about. Right. It's like, I don't want to hear it from you because if you don't like it, my thing is always, hey, billionaire who owns the team, if you don't like it, sell your team then. You know, right? This is, you know, so, so in a lot of respects, this is like uh, the world's most expensive hobby for you. <laughs> like, you know, so if you don't like it, you know, sell the team and you'll get somebody in there who wants to spend the money because that's, you know, what we care about as fans of the game and of those teams. But it's it's just more of a, for me, it takes a lot of, I have to see the numbers like on virtual paper to then be like, Oh my God, like this is just, you know, mind breaking stuff because it really is like, I, I can't, I just, I I still struggle at times to wrap my head around. You know, we have players regularly now that make 50 and encroaching on 60 million and will make 60 million a year. Like the idea of 70 plus and a half a billion dollar contract on a five-year deal yeah, and then I think maybe the next CBA is where we start to see, you know, let all right, did did business and growth slow down enough that now we need to do some constraints? But for now, it is what it is. We have what we have, and this is how it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, you made some super valid points. I even put it in my notes here. You know, the, the media rights coming in, expansion. You know. Expansions happening all over NWSL, yeah. MLS, NHL, WNBA. They already said they're going to look to expand. Yep. yep. Right, and I know from I heard MLS is looking for in the Vegas area yeah. too. So there's a fifth team to have to go up against um, the in-season tournament. You know mm-hmm. that is going to bring in revenue from you know media and eyeballs and you know sales, yep. whatever else that is going to go in with that. So yes. I, I get that the influx of money is going to come in. However, from a 
league CBA, team CBA standpoint, I feel like the the super formulaic nature of the NBA is going to start to pigeonhole some of these teams even more than anticipated with seeing these salaries. And again, I know the minimums go up with the cap. The, the exceptions are going to go up with the cap. So it's all about the, the percentage of that amount. However, uh, you know, with these new rules of the, the super tax and, and some of those other things, it's really going to handcuff some of those teams. My my concern is if there isn't some sort of reset or a plateau or a slowdown, not only looking at these numbers in five years on the maximum estimate side, what happens in 10 years? Are we looking at $120, $130 million yeah. salaries? So, and I have the same concern in the NFL because everything is being paid based off of, oh, okay, we're percentage of the cap is the percent, the cap is this. Now they don't have percentages built in, but the team sort of look at that and say, all right, we, we can afford our quarterback to be at 20% of the, the cap or our wide receiver to be at 15% of the cap. And they sort of base it off of that. Major League Baseball doesn't have that. So it's sort of more of a free market and what you're worth and the team's going to pay you what you're going to pay. Otani may blow that out of the water here in the next 12 yeah. months. However, that's one player out of an entire league, whereas we're seeing more players get the these thresholds or the teams are investing in those players long-term. So I, I know it's a double-edged sword. You want the league to grow and you want the players to get paid, but when is that breaking point? And just seeing these numbers on a – digital sheet just sort of was like, holy cow, I think we're at this point already if you really extrapolate out. Yeah, because it's important to know what we're saying, a $200 million cap, and I'm, and I'm rounding everything here, but a $200 million cap is not insane to think about within the life of the current CBA. And that's what really, really matters, right? No, and was, because the NFL is in the 200, but the NFL has X amount of more yes. players than the NBA and the NFL does not have a formulaic pigeonhole of you're, you're at 25, 30 and 35%. You know, the highest that a might be is 20 to 25%. Sure. And, and that's the maximum we're saying 35% of a cap for multiple players on a team. And then again, the veteran extension. So they've, because they like being so formulaic, they, they've, shove themselves into a corner and saying, Ooh, you're, you're at this. And by the time that they can get into the next CBA, these players are already going to be locked into some of these 80 million sure. plus salaries. Yeah. I, I think there's a couple things too. And one thing in the, the CBA that was just signed, the one that'll start here in a couple months, they did put constraints i'm not gonna say you know handcuffs or anything but just constraints on the way teams can operate when they do get to be super expensive and i think what what happened here is i think they are trying to that was one way to maybe try to get ahead of this to say hey you can if you are the preeminent draft and develop team in the league you're the golden state warriors bulk of your core was drafted and developed by you you can keep them all. It's just going to be super expensive to do so. And then we're going to limit you on how you can add outside talent. And I think that is a 
kind of let's try to have the best of both worlds here where we're not going to force you to break up and lose all your players because you're, you know, at a hard cap line like like the NFL kind of operates under or not kind of, but does operate under. We're not going to force you to make decisions on, well, you know, I know this guy's still good and everybody loves him, but we got to trade him or cut him or let him leave in free agency, which I see every year in the NFL happen. And fans are like, well, why? You know, and it's like, well, because we can't afford him, right? Like we've, we've got tough decisions to make. So they're saying, hey, in our soft cap world, we're going to do this. But then you can't also then go out and sign five other guys in free agency that you'll round out your roster and you'll never be you know bad i think too i think they're conscious of by lifting the bottom teams and by saying hey you have to spend 90 percent of the salary cap they're not they i think they're very conscious of not becoming like major league baseball or i think a better comp in many ways is the premier league where it is you have six teams that combined spend as much as all the other teams do to together um like it's become or you know probably even more in a lot of ways um they don't want to be that either right where it is hey we're gonna force our bottom there's not gonna be an oakland a's where it's you know your your payroll is less than one player on another team like we are going to force you to spend that money and not only are we gonna force you we're gonna incent you with here's you know six other things you get that other teams don't get that you can, you know, do this with. And I think that'll be those things were a step towards I think we're going to see that become even more restrictive as we go forward because I think what the NBA wants to see is all right, if you're a Warriors and you kind of come to power here, you can stretch that run out to be probably by the time it fully ends, probably about a decade long. That's fine. And we're okay with that. But our real goal is let's cycle. We want to cycle through where it's, you can be good for a while, then you drop back and then it'll become the teams. That's where you'll see the teams who have the smartest front offices and the best coaches. Those will become even more valuable because it'll be, how do we keep ourselves always there? Right. It'll be, how do we become and you could call me a homer here if you want, Scott, but how do we become what the Patriots were for two decades in a league that is designed for you to never be good for very long? How do we how do we do that? Now, the easy answer is well, find your Tom Brady, right? And your Bill Belichick and you'll do it. But it was also, I mean, we know they consistently won on the edges, right? Like they they were consistently picking off guys and developing guys and all the stuff that you need to do around that. And that's where I think the NBA will get to is there. And in the next CBA, I expect there to be more constraints where it is, if you're over X line, maybe they had a third tax, right? A super duper tax line. And it is, you just lose your draft pick, right? If you're above that line, I don't know, but that's going to be where we got to give this the next five years before we really start into another round of CBA, you know, talks. Cause that's about when it'll start up again. Um, Give this five years to really measure, evaluate, test, and adjust. What does this look like? And then we we move it forward. So it's going to be super fascinating to see where this comes. Because to, I know you asked in our show doc here, what is the breaking point? I don't know what it is, but we do know there is one, right? There is one where it will become, all right, you know, hey, this is, you know, well, where it is. And maybe at some point it becomes, hey, live sports rights are not what we think 
they they are today like people just don't really care enough anymore or something god god forbid and i hope not right it's my favorite thing in the world so i hope that's not how it becomes but you know it's going to be really really interesting to monitor and watch all this stuff come together because i think it's uh you know this is being something that is it's almost like all right we have labor peace and everybody's like yeah we know the cap's going up now but they smoothed it so it's all good I think people are still looking at it uh, with a little bit of a blind eye towards where we could be heading. Yeah, definitely fascinating, which is why I wanted to jump out in front of this conversation now, because I know we're going to be talking about it probably at least once a year as these salary caps get updated and projections come out and the numbers get altered and and shifted. So I, I wanted to be out in front of it now just to get the conversation out there of just a heads up. This is where things could go um and it'll be interesting to see as the cba conversations go when we get closer does the 25 30 35 end up getting amended and, mm-hmm. and shifted down to uh you know a 12 18 22 or something you know where the percentages actually have to get reset from that standpoint so i i look forward to seeing where things are going i'm glad the players are going to get paid because you know that's who's out on the court doing all the work um, it's just, again, like in the NFL, the, the cap keeps going up, this cap's going to keep going up. And where is that, you know, line of demarcation of it, it, it breaks and it has to completely get reset. So, um, glad we had this conversation and, and got your thoughts on this too. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's, you know, uh, what we're probably, you know, if, if we're lucky enough that the show runs for, you know, all the way up until we'll probably have this conversation a few more times, right? Of like, oh my gosh, we may even have this conversation in part this summer when it's like, holy cow, can you believe what player X got paid, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, just through this. I mean, I remember last year when Damian Lillard signed his, uh, you know, extension that it doesn't even kick in for a couple more years and it was like uh damian lillard's gonna make 63 million dollars in the final year of his extension like it was like that that was almost like i i need to read i need to sit down for a minute like really let this digest and reset because i don't even know what what that you know necessarily means so yeah it's uh it, it is it's really gonna be something here as we get into this see what this will all look like yeah, this is why we're here. We want to talk about what is next yep. and upcoming in the NBA. And this is, you know, at the forefront. I mean, we're really obviously projecting estimates out, but uh, this is this is what we're here to do. Talk about this, what the financial stuff and implications and all of that. Uh, so so you just posted Utah. So what is next for the team previews and anything else you might have? Coming? Yeah, we've got uh, coming here pretty soon. We've got our last of the non uh, postseason teams, the Dallas Mavericks, will come up. Then we'll get into the play, the teams that were bounced out in the playing tournament. So Toronto, New Orleans, Chicago, and Oklahoma City. And then we're already half the playoff teams are gone. Where we're all everybody's into the second round now, and uh, you know half the playoff teams are gone. So we'll get into them, and uh, you know we're, we're going to endeavor to try to get caught up. Uh, you know at some point, and th- thankfully you know things will slow down a little bit here with not you know so many games being played uh that need covered as well so but yeah we're, we're, we're getting there where we're 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 plugging along so yeah dallas uh you know coming coming soon then the the rest of the play-in teams and then we'll get into those playoff teams and that's playoff teams are t- tend to be you, know, you kind of hit 
hit the really fun teams, which is all the rebuilding teams. Then you kind of hit those teams where it's like, yeah, there's a lot going on here in the middle. And it could be a bunch of different stuff. And then the playoff teams, you just get a little bit more of a sense of, all right, they were on the biggest stage. What do they really need to do if their intention is to move this forward? And I think that that's when they get really, really interesting. So I'm excited to get in all those here over the uh, coming weeks and months. Yeah, if you're looking to get in touch with Keith Smith, uh, he is at Keith Smith NBA, and uh, shoot us up with some uh, some questions. I know we're like you said, we're about to get out of the uh, non-playoff team. So if you have any questions that you want to ask about some of the previews that we've gone, get even more specific. Uh, send him a message, and we'll see what we can do with that. Um, otherwise. On to next week and looking forward to more of these playoffs. They're getting even better as the rounds get uh, moved forward as they should. Uh, So thank you for listening. Uh, Hit subscribe or rate us, review us. And uh, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.